you know, some of the things we're doing in terms of direct impact on the classroom on our side of the house is technology, right? Mm -hmm. First and foremost. So adding projectors, adding screens so that we're, we're modern and up to date in terms of teaching standards and what teachers could do, what students can learn. Welcome to the hashtag Proud to be LBUSD podcast series. I'm your host, Christopher J. Itson, and today on the show, we have David Miranda, the Executive Director of Facilities Development and Planning here at LBUSD, and he's here to share about all the major behind-the-scenes work his team does to support students when it comes to everything from upkeep to maintenance to the many major construction projects in the works, um, really to ensure that our students have the best environment possible for learning and for success. So hi, David. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the studio. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's get right into it. So let's talk about you a little bit. So let's start by learning about your background and your role as a leader in LBUSD. Perfect. So I'm the Executive Director of Facilities Development and Planning for Long Beach Unified. Started here in November of 2019. So it hasn't been too long, a little over a year and a half or so. Yet I've been in the industry of school facilities planning and construction for a little over 21 years. So worked for a couple districts in Orange County. I live in Orange County, uh, but ventured out this way in November, and I'm super happy to be here. Uh, just having a good time. Leading a big building program, of course, for a great team in a great district. So really enjoyed my time here so far. Uh, in terms of education, I have a bachelor's degree in business administration with a focus in project management. Of course, right up my alley with what I do. Um, pursued a master's degree a little later in life um, in organizational leadership. And of course, something that's just uh, I use daily, right? So really happy to be here, though. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, right? So obviously having your, your initial education really being about specific to the mm -hmm. job at that organizational management's got to be huge and running such a massive team and a massive organization. It is, it is. And I quickly learned myself, but also via mentors, uh, that the further you move up in an organiza organization, the more you're working with people, right? And the less you're working on the technical side, really just more the people side, the team side of the house. And again, I find myself using that daily. So let's talk about your team. Let's talk about what the facilities team does. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, we're the largest employer in the city, this massive organization. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, you, th you think LBSD, you think teachers, you think administrators, but obviously there's a whole bunch of people behind the scenes. So tell us a little bit about the work your team does in, in supporting the district. And that's a good point. I'm glad you framed it that way, right? Because I often um, mention to folks that all of us LBUSD employees are either teaching or supporting teaching, right? And I often echo that sentiment to my team. It is a large team though. So in terms of building programs and other neighboring districts and just school districts across the state, we're one of the larger ones. Hmm. Uh, so in terms of our staff uh, that I oversee, there's 46 of us in various different roles and capacities, of course. Our facilities divisions generally broken up into four subdivisions. So we have um, the construction department, right? The obvious, so I'll hmm. start with that one. We have the planning and program management kind of subdivision. We have a contracts and procurement branch within our area as well and then a fiscal services and accounting branch as well. And we need all of those internal because we're just cranking out that much work, right? So in order to have those checks and balances and, and to really keep contracts and, and contractor payments uh, moving accordingly, it's nice to have those under the same umbrella. Right hand's always talking to the left, hmm. really keep, keeps us in good shape. Uh, now in terms of the various roles, um, you know, a lot of project managers, assistant project managers, folks with really expertise in each of those sub areas. Uh, so folks who are just experts in terms of nuts and bolts, others who are just big picture thinkers and program planners and whatnot. And then really every one of these areas, every role is of the, of the utmost importance, if not equal importance, right? 
So I mentioned paying contractors. That's really vital to us. Hmm. We embark on so many con construction projects out there as part of this building program effort, yet we can't do so without the help of contractors and subcontractors and, and really everyone out there doing the work itself, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're leading the effort, we oversee the overall program, yet they're the ones swinging the hammers, really <laughs> doing the actual work out there. We often find we can forge these better partnerships with builders by paying promptly, by being, you know, just hmm. fair and honest and transparent in terms of the contract terms and schedules and whatnot, really keeps us all on the same page so that we can have a successful building program. So how big are we? Like when we think building scope, how many, I mean, just ballpark, how many buildings do we, do you oversee? So it's massive. I often list it via square footage because mm -hmm. folks can relate to that, right? We, yeah. we have houses, we have apartments, we have condos. That's often in the, you know, 700 to a couple thousand square feet range. Mm -hmm. uh, with Long Beach Unified, it's 9 million square feet wow. of building space. So it's massive, right? 85 schools, 9 million square feet. Um, we also oversee buildings and assets of the district outside of schools, right? So could be our facility over the maintenance operations and facility branch, could be the district office headquarters as well. So really when all is said and done, it's over 90 facilities that we oversee. Are we the biggest property owner in the, in the city? We are the largest property owner in the city. Wow. Wow. So, okay. So, I, and I want to get to, we're going to get into measure E and construction because I think that's a big thing, you know, you and I talked about prior um, that I think is so vital to, you know, updating everything, moving stuff forward and, and stuff I think our community doesn't always know about. Um, but before that, what, um, I always think of, so you have this massive square footage, right? And all of this upkeep, but you also have constant traffic, right? I mean, I think of working in school sites and just wear and tear on buildings and things like that. So, I mean, that's got to be a huge part before we can get to the construction of just the upkeep and maintenance of safety regulations, but all the way through keeping things nice. For sure. And that's an important aspect, right? We make sure we drive that in terms of our goals and our mission as a division. We do a lot of uh, close work and collaboration with our maintenance department as well. Uh, we physically reside in the same building, so we're right there, right there as neighbors. Uh, so we really look to partner with those folks on a regular basis in terms of general upkeep, maintenance, making sure we're on the same page as well. Um, building aesthetics, front entry, curb appeal, all these things are important, right? So when folks visit our school sites, perhaps they're transferring in, perhaps they're registering for the first time, it's really important to make that good first impression right out the gate. Mm. You know, there's a few projects in the hopper right now where we're talking about some landscaping related improvements in collaboration with our maintenance and grounds folks. Um, we seek their feedback, we, we develop a concept plan, we refine the plan, but really the goal going forward is going to be where can we, in, where can we enhance our facilities and, and curb appeal as well. So let's talk a little bit more about that, about that collaboration. Cause Perfect. I mean, you definitely, you know, went there with that. So like when I'm thinking about service, major repairs, air quality, everything, and you're housed in the same area, how do you work together with those teams? Like what, what's the, maybe an example of that collaboration? What does that look like? Perfect question. And I'd say first and foremost, both of us divisions really understanding that we work hand in hand, right? So on our side of the house, we develop these plans for new construction efforts, um, portable projects, shade structures, athletic facility improvements, you name it, right? A, a number of different type of projects. Yet when all is said and done and we finish these projects, the maintenance division inherits these facilities. So it's really incumbent upon us and upon those guys as well to work hand in hand. So we seek their feedback um, at the outset of the planning stages. So as we develop these concepts, as the plans start to refine and develop, and these processes take quite a while, right? Um, in some cases over a year, perhaps a year and a half or two years, uh, depending on the size of the project. 
but we bring the maintenance folks and specific representatives from the maintenance trades uh, to chime in and give input with respect to these uh, building components, hmm. right? So as, you know, for example, we're currently piloting a project for electronic door locks, Okay. right? It, it would not behoove us as a district and as a department to go out there and make those deci- decisions on our own. We want to hear from our locksmith and the maintenance department hmm. and some of our other folks on the maintenance side of the house. We want to hear from school safety division. We want to hear from the TISB department on the technology side. There's so much collaboration just with any type of project. That one in particular mm-hmm. includes at least four different divisions, <laughs> uh, but that's how we get it right, ultimately. The other thing we do on our side of the house is we've, we've been developing facility design standards, and that's something that's re- really um, come leaps and bounds. It, it's always in development, always in process, um, but that's another one of those efforts where we formed a facility design committee we include folks from all of those subdivisions I just mentioned and a few others, uh, nutrition services, operations branch as well, because our work and these projects impact so many of these folks on the back end uh, when they inherit these buildings and facilities. So we get them to chime in on, on standards in a sense, right? So what's the best product to use for lighting? Uh, what's the best product to use in terms of finished flooring? And there's different ones, right? Because every building's a little unique, every project's a little unique but we bring all the stakeholders in place so we could gauge their feedback before developing these standards. Once they're in play and finalized, we then um, basically hand those standards over to the architectural firms that we bring on board, and it's on them to develop and, and implement those standards into our final plans. And of course, lots of checks and balances, lots of going back and forth to ensure we have the right uh, component in play for a particular project but we adapt accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, say we included a, a facility and, and it called for tile flooring, but it really behooves us as a district to entertain carpet instead, just because of acoustics or other factors. We'll revisit that, make a change, include all the players I just mentioned, mm-hmm. and then go off and running prior to construction. That's interesting. I, th- I think when you're the, the first piece, we talk about bringing those stakeholders together, I would think one of the most vital pieces is once it's built, our staff has to take care of it, right? And so, you know, they obviously having those those different stakeholders who have pieces of that work to, to maintain everything. You, I, I mean, I always think of TIS because we, you know, we work with a lot of technology and that they need to be able to update things and take care of it. And so that's, and then when you talk about the design standards, that's fascinating. So that really, from what I'm hearing you saying, it really kind of gives that springboard or that, or that standardization for your contractors, right? So they know that this is what we expect, but obviously it's adaptable, right? Because sometimes stuff doesn't work out. Cause I even think of like when there's environmental impact, right? Does that affect, I mean, it's got to affect everything, right? All of a sudden we have a plan and then. Exactly. And that's where it goes to every project being a little unique, right? So these standards help guide the way and, okay. and help set that roadmap for us. Having standard and standard scope of work for projects helps us on our end as well. Uh, just in terms of making sure the contracts are in place, the contracts are all fairly similar. Contractors know what they're bidding, right? So if they've done work with us in the past, they generally understand the rough scope of work or general scope of work as they embark on a project at another site. Mm-hmm. Um, the contractors, the partners we work with on the consulting side of the house, not just architects, but engineers, environmental firms, mm-hmm. geotechnical firms, move management companies. Um, it, they really just get better. And as a result, our projects get better along the way uh, because they've learned our standards. They've learned kind of the Long Beach way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really understand our expectations, right? We do set a high bar. Mm-hmm. So in terms of our work, and I should have said this earlier, right? <laughs> um, because this is, this is really the crux of what we do uh, in terms of legal compliance, building code compliance, accessibility requirements. 
There's so much that our staff is responsible for, and in turn, our extended staff, VR partners and these architects and engineers, uh, just to make sure that we are, in fact, developing good, high-quality facilities. You know, I heard this mentioned once before, but school construction, very highly regulated, and for good reason, right? We mm -hmm. want to make sure students, staff, our community is safe when they're in these facilities, and these facilities are adequate and equitable, right? Um, so again, th there goes with the accessibility requirements. Mm -hmm. But I've heard once before that, that the only building that's perhaps more highly regulated is a hospital, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I, I see them on par. Uh -huh. You know, in many respects, I think uh, there's certain building components we add to our construction efforts that are overbuilt. Hmm. And that's a good thing, Yeah. right? I, if I have a roof that gives me 30 or 40 or 50 years, that's a good thing for our community and our students and staff again. That's huge. I mean, I think from, from the safety and the sustainability piece, right? Because I mean, I always think of it as a teacher, Families are trusting their child with me during the day, right? And now as a parent, my kid's going to Long Beach schools. I have to drop them off and trust that they're safe. And, and the environment is a huge piece of that, right? The safety. And then like you're saying, for the taxpayer, for the community, we want things to let, you know, if, you, if we build something cheap and it doesn't last, now we're spending more money at the same time. Absolutely. And, and our community really benefits from these facilities, right? So our schools are used, obviously, for education purposes during the day yet they're open for after-hour mm -hmm. use from, from the public, right? So they benefit from these facilities via for youth sports or mm -hmm. community meetings or engagement sessions, whatever that might be. The other piece, when you mentioned emergency, this kind of uh, jumped out to me. These sites, many of our sites anyway, um, can be used as emergency refuge centers, yeah. right? And that's such because we built to that high standard, mm -hmm. right? So again, just wanted to echo that. Yeah, sentiment. no, I remember when I was at Cabrillo, we were one of the main hubs for disaster all the way even Catalina was was attached because of location of the school and everything so that's that's fascinating yeah and I mean think of all the youth sports I think of the pools in the district being used by the Y and by the city and or not Y but by the city and these different organizations and all so that's yeah right it really is a part of the community you know and, and I think we see that and I think Long Beach is I've said this on a podcast before but you know coming to Long Beach right to work you've probably seen this that really the schools are really the heart of the community you know like we, we have a joke if you've grown up in Long Beach first thing you ask somebody who's grown up in Long Beach is where'd you go to high school right there's that mentality and stuff and we have so many locations across the city that really it's part of the heart of the community you know I'm glad you mentioned swimming pool too by the way so I just wanted to kind of list that as, <laughs> as another project example right because yeah. I mentioned new construction renovation HVAC we've talked about yeah. and that's our bread and butter right we do a whole lot of those projects but a, a lot of athletic-related projects as well. So uh, every so often we have a project with respect to new synthetic track and fields. Uh, we have one going on right now over at Lakewood mm -hmm. High School. We just wrapped one up at Milliken. Uh, with respect to pools, this is the point I wanted to hit. Uh, not just collaboration with other departments, but the various stakeholders at the school level and community level as well, right? So with Wilson High School, we're currently in the design phase for a new swimming pool. Mm -hmm. Um, that's going to take it from the indoor natatorium space to an outdoor facility, uh, which is just more the sign of the times, right? Yeah. That, that's the way we built pool facilities these days. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be a 51 and a half meter pool. We're including locker rooms, the pool deck, scoreboard, lighting, bleachers, um, team rooms, you name it, right? So complete complex in a sense. But Wilson's going to serve as the model going forward for the swimming pool complex that's going to be added at the rest of the comprehensive mm -hmm. high schools over the years to follow. Yet in terms of that design effort, we included so many folks as well. So folks from other departments that I mentioned previously, but representatives from each of those comprehensive high schools, whether it be a coach or an athletic director, principal, assistant principal, couple PE teachers, just to really get that full engagement and collaboration and input from all the various stakeholders. So while we're starting with Wilson, this is really going to serve as the model going forward. So let's make sure we get that feedback and input from all the various stakeholders. 
Uh, student voice is important to us as well, mm. right? So we included students as part of that dialogue. Uh, Sean Abbott from our side of the house, who's our Measure E liaison, uh, really led those efforts in terms of engaging students, having fun activities to get them on board and understand the complexities of, of our project, uh, but where we wanted specific input along the way as well. And just, of course, that leads to an awesome project at the end of the day. And that's perfect. Jerry took my question, really. What, what, what's the, the community input? And, you know, you and I have worked on Measure E live streams that we had to do this year, which we're going to get into that next. Mm-hmm. Um, and really trying to seek community input and also provide information to the community. And so that's really cool just to hear. I, I'm a former swim coach. And so that side of it is just, you know, knowing that it's important for the coaches to be involved in that conversation, you know, because they're, 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 there's, there's different style pools, different types of swimming. And to me, that's such an awesome thing. You said it with the sign of the times. We, I always thought it was funny. as a coach that we had these indoor pools. I'm like, we're in Southern California, and every school we traveled to right. was outdoor. We were Absolutely. the Orange County and everything. We're the only. It was always kind of like, what is the purpose of? And then the upkeep and the maintenance. I mean, I remember I coached for six years, I think, at Millican, and I, we probably repainted the inside of that natatorium like three or four times, and it still was peeling off the walls because just the gl- the chlorine in there, the lack of ventilation, it just didn't work, you know. And you Absolutely. could still was an outdated you know, construction that was done, you know, many, many decades ago and everything. So that's so cool. And I even think of, I'm not going to go too long about aquatics, but I'm passionate about hearing because you've talked about this in the past about this this new project, but it's really exciting too, to see the access that that's going to provide the community to pools because Mm -hmm. historically, especially in Southern California, that access to pools was taken away from a lot of the community. And you think of the city, you know, they're, they're rebuilding, I don't even know where they're at with it now, but Belmont, you know, and they've had this community pool, but it's on one side of town. Exactly. You know, and it doesn't give out, it's hard to get there for other access. So I, even that, when you brought up the community use of our facilities, just the potential that's going to bring the community. And I'd say what I would add with respect to access, um, being very intentional and deliberate and strategic in terms of where on the specific campus we place these hmm. pool complexes, right? In some cases, we're landlocked, we have buildings, we have parking lots and whatnot, but where we can, we're placing the, the pool complex um, where it's very accessible to the community, hmm. right? They're not having to traverse to and from the rest of the campus to get to the facility on the back end, mm-hmm. um, making sure it's within close proximity to parking lots where appropriate, right? And in terms of um, just the pool development, I want to uh, touch on that one, yeah. one more, just one more point. So you mentioned being a, a, a swim coach, right? So for us, it, it was really incumbent on us to, to seek out the input from the coaches and the athletic directors, engage that feedback, but not focus strictly on that feedback, mm-hmm. right? Because yes, these are going to be used for competitive athletics. Um, competitive athletics are important to us. Mm-hmm. Yet we also have non-swimmers, right? We have PE classes. So we want yeah. to make sure these pools are available and the complex itself is accessible um, really across the board for every student, every community member, right? So mm-hmm. how much pool depth, what's the pool depth? Um, how much of it is going to be the shallow end? Uh, where do kids enter from? Hmm. Do we have accessibility for kids who uh, um, might have a disability, right? So including every one of those factors and hearing from just a number of different voices really helped us develop the plan to where it is now. Right, and, and when we when we continue to talk about equity, you know, and pushing that work forward, it, it feeds into everything, right? It feeds into how we build a building. What's it going to look like? How we make a pool? And that's, so let's get into that because I think that, I mean, I know, probably a lot of people know about it, but really about bond measures. And so I know maybe start with what is a construction bond measure? And then maybe let's get into measure E a little more in detail, if that's okay. Perfect. Okay. And I'll actually go back to my example on uh, just that we all can relate to uh, our home, right? So we have X amount of square feet at home. Many of us have gone through a home renovation or home, re- home remodel, perhaps even just a restroom or a kitchen remodel at home. And that comes with a price tag, right? 
often tag we're uh, oftentimes we're having to phase the work in perhaps mm-hmm. focus on the living room this year kitchen next year restroom the following year if funds are available mm-hmm. right because this comes with a price tag so again just bringing it full circle nine million square feet building construction needs aging facilities right the average age of a of a school facility in long beach is still 62 years wow so again, with buildings aging, um, those needs just continue to climb up the ladder. The dollar signs continue to increase. Local bond efforts and state bond efforts are basically how us school districts fund these construction improvements, right? So we tap on the shoulder of our local community. This is my chance to really thank the community once again. <laughs> I do so as often as I can. I'm going to do so again right now <laughs> because without the community support for these bond efforts uh, that go before the voters, we couldn't embark on all these improvements yeah. that we've been discussing this morning, right? So big thank you to the community as well. Um, really, at the end of the day, uh, what this looks like, and it's highly technical, right? But I'll try and describe sure. it in a nutshell. Sure. Um, it, it's a modic, modest tax uh, on our local community um, to really give us the funding source to be able to embark on these construction improvements. And it's on property owners, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, so that, that, that's just a, a, in, in as short a form as I can describe it, that's how I would describe it mm-hmm. as well. I mentioned state bonds because at the state level, there's also um, on occasion mm-hmm. um, state facility bond e- endeavors. Um, and for Long Beach Unified, what that means and what that equates to is us being able to apply for state matching dollars. So we okay. take our local dollars, apply for state matching funds on construction efforts. That's typically half of our construction dollars for a particular project. On modernization efforts, it's a little more, it's more like 60%, but it really helps us leverage our local funds. Right. So at every turn, at every opportunity, we're trying to do right by taxpayers, not just plan projects accordingly in the right way, but save dollars wherever we yeah. can, leverage our dollars as far as we can. Yeah, as really well. stretch the money. Absolutely. And it, it's crazy because I, I think about that. So, you know, in that nutshell, that obviously we're asking the community to to pitch in a little bit, to be able to to really move move all of these buildings into the 21st century. Like you said, that I mean that's that's staggering to me that that old. And I just think about it, I was at Wilson you know, during the, during the pandemic, we were still working. So we were all over the place and I was at Wilson the day they were installing the new windows on the front of the school. And I, I went to high school there and, you know, it's one of the oldest high schools, not the oldest, but one of the oldest. And it was crazy because thinking just as I'm looking at, I'm thinking the, it, where it was so cool and beautiful, it was like, these windows looked really nice and sleek. And you could obviously tell they were so that the AC system could work, but they, they were built naturally into the facade. So it didn't, it didn't mess up this really old architecture that looks cool. And that to me is just what a challenge because you're dealing with really old buildings. I mean, just bluntly and how to upgrade that. And I'm sure the can of worms that happens because when you renovated my house too, and you start a project, you open up a wall and you figure out there's 10 other problems you have to deal with. And so there's all those pieces. That's just, it's just staggering. You're you're spot on. Uh, With construction efforts, there's always unforeseen conditions. Mm -hmm. With aging facilities and facilities such as Wilson and Fremont and others that are 90 plus years old, even more unforeseen, correct? So we have contingencies in place. Um, Yet we're also super respectful of the architectural character, the, the community character, the design mm. of these facilities, right? So just with Wilson High School and the example you noted on the windows, we had so much consideration and conversation that centered around the, the window frames, mm. right? Let's keep to the character. Let's make sure these frames look very similar, if not identical, to the ones on the neighboring building, right? So, and we're able to achieve that. Yeah. It's with the help of our partners, our architects, um, Really kudos to all of those partners as well, because they help us achieve these um, end products. Yeah, it's, 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 I was at Jordan too and seeing the new auditorium that's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't been there last time I was there, you know, everything was covered and there was fences. And I, I walked up and I almost didn't, it, 
it was beautiful once I like started to look at it, but I almost didn't notice it because it just fit into the campus. And I'm walking and someone goes, oh, look at the new auditorium. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But it, it, it fit into the style, I guess, kind of the same thing we're talking about. And like when I was at Wilson, the character of that front, that iconic front of Wilson, it looks the same. Absolutely. It just has really nice windows now. Absolutely. It's so fun. That's cool. And I, and I think, I, I can't remember the stats. You may know it because you're a wealth of information in this, but I remember talking with the public information office about the bond measures and stuff and how an overwhelming amount of the community voted for the last two bond measures, which right. I think is also shout out to the community and, and so grateful. So last one in particular hovered around 75% wow. or so. The previous one was in the mid 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's overwhelming support. Yeah. And again, thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's talk about that measure E. What, what, let's talk specifically about that one because I think I know we're in the middle of, you're in the middle of many, many, many projects. So what's some highlights that are happening? Yeah, and so you talk about the pool, but. Absolutely. And, and really at any given time, we're working on at least half a dozen or so HVAC and modernization type projects. And those, again, typically on older facilities, facilities that either had no HVAC systems or had dated systems as well. So really of the utmost importance for us, just in terms of delivering that good product uh, that the students and staff deserve out there. I mentioned track and field projects, Mm -hmm. so often there's at least one or two of those in the hopper for us as well. Uh, Swimming pool projects as well. We have new construction, so you mentioned Jordan High School. Mm -hmm. We're really coming off of that project in terms of enhancing and updating the auditorium and library, but we're currently about to embark on a new building project for Jordan as well, where it's going to add a new two-story classroom facility, 14 classrooms, uh, new courtyard, new lunch shelter, really just kind of defining and enhancing that side of the campus, really closest to Atlantic is the way I would describe it. Yeah, it's it. kind of off of, um, in, almost in front of the auditorium, right? If you're exactly, facing it. Yeah. exactly. And we've had other improvements along Atlantic as well, right? So mm-hmm. we modernized the front office. We included some landscaping improvements along that street side as well. Yeah, there's that new kind of turnabout parking lot you know, that's there. The new parking yeah. lot. We'll have a few more parking enhancements as part of this effort as well, just in terms of having a good, uh, adequate and accessible parking lot uh, drop-off really just exciting projects and really something that ties into the global measure E messaging because we'd all like to embark on these projects and get them all done tomorrow, right? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But they take time. So early on, I mentioned the design effort in and of itself can take upwards of a year or two. Uh, We have state agencies we report to. So the state architect reviews our plans and designs, ultimately issues that stamp before we can proceed with construction. We have other state agencies that help us along the way uh, via the California Department of Ed, who's looking at different factors, um, just in terms of accessibility, toilet counts, uh, just other considerations on school sites. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the Department of Toxic Substances Controls, who looks to make sure everything's on the up and up in terms of soil conditions and environmental conditions. We comply with CEQA, which is the California Environmental Quality Act, just in terms of noise disturbances, traffic disturbances, uh, really any type of aesthetic as well. So there, there's quite a few hoops we have to jump through, right? And that's before we even put the project out to bid. <laughs> so the bidding process is very defined for public agencies like us as well. Mm-hmm. We have to comply with public contract code. Um, for us, we really pay extra effort and attention in that area as well because we want to really stagger projects and have projects that are out there and available for not just the large contractor, but the smaller local contractor as well. So, and sometimes there's a contractors that check both of those boxes, Mm -hmm. which is just great also. Um, So we really uh, pay close attention to what these projects look like in terms of budget and complexity and scope, which one's best served by a smaller contractor versus a larger one. Uh, Are we getting an A team or a B team on this project? Of Mm -hmm. course, we want A teams across the board, right? With respect to measure E and the way we kind of stack the deck and stagger these projects, we, we really have to. 
right? So we can't just issue all these bonds all in one shot. Um, typically what we see districts do and what we do is issue bonds in what we call a series. Mm -hmm. That series will typically encompass the next three or so years of projects. Uh, so we set up these phasing schedules, right? Uh, cash flow it really dictates a lot of what we do. Sure. So even though we have this massive building program, a lot of what we do, you know, today and tomorrow and next month is driven by cash flow, uh, just as we go through the program. Wow, and I, th I think about that, and, I, and we didn't talk about that. We were going to talk about this question, but I'm going to kind of throw it at you just because I'm curious. Um, it's not a gotcha question or anything, but <laughs> thinking of um, the, the pandemic. I mean, I mean, first of all, I'm thinking when you went to money, I think of that initially finances when the initial state budget came out, mm -hmm. you know, back in the middle of the year last year, that was terrifying thinking what was going to happen. And then think our lucky stars, the economy opened back up somewhat and there was this windfall and there's been a lot of support from the federal government and from the state. Uh, how much did that impact the work? You know, go, if we went back to March uh, 13th, 2020 to now, I mean, in thinking of your strategic planning and stuff, I mean, how much can you can you kind of uh, talk a little bit about that of what that what that challenge is? I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic because from March on of last year, our world has been a little different, right? So, with school facilities and construction teams, often our peak periods are when students and staff are away from campuses, mm -hmm. right? Whether it be a spring break, a winter break, or of course a summer break, we want to get in there, do the most disruptive work as possible when nobody's on site. With the pandemic, it actually lended us somewhat of an opportunity to accelerate construction. Mm -hmm. I mentioned how with several projects, even within a project it itself, we'll do phased construction, right? We work on one building at a time, perhaps two buildings at a time, so that we can keep the campus operational. What the pandemic allowed us to do was accelerate construction in many cases. Mm. Um, our contractors, I think, did a stand-up job in terms of just our, our local community and the community at large in terms of keeping the economy going. Right. So a, a lot of the work that continued on was construction related work. So mm -hmm. really kudos to the contractor community there as well. Yeah. Uh, the other piece that really kept us busy during the pandemic or, or, you know, right smack in the middle of it really was our team embarked on a massive effort um, to develop social distancing plans. Hmm. So what is social distancing going to look like when kiddos and staff come back? So first of all, developing a plan and just a general footprint per classroom and per space on a campus with respect to uh, what the capacity is, right? Mm -hmm. So we had capacity counts at the outset, but what does a capacity number shakeout to look like once we factor in six foot social distancing? Yeah, and in all these random it, classrooms. You know, it, exactly. You have so, a so, tiny classroom next to a giant classroom. And and we really looked at spaces across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, we feel proud as a facility department as a, and as a district that we feel we now know our campuses better than we ever did, mm -hmm. right? Because we physically walked every one of those spaces. Our project man managers kind of kind of went with a divide and conquer uh, approach. Yeah. So they were anywhere and everywhere. Uh, we had folks from the education services side of the house with us as well. In many cases, we walked with site administrators just to make sure we clearly identified every different space. To your point, sure. right? It's we don't want to just count classrooms. We we took capacity counts of bleachers, of gymnasium facilities, of auditoriums as well just so we can really be ready in yeah. terms of what those capacity counts look like. And that was a big, big effort, uh, but a worthwhile effort as well. Yeah, because that's also not, that's also offices as well, right? All the, I'm thinking central office, TRC, all the different, I mean, that's a ton of places to walk. And it was cool when we, um, we, we did a bunch of videos, you know, for the opening, like what's safety protocols for certain schools asked us to come out and do mm -hmm. a little intro video for their, their teams. And it was cool to see just, I mean, how organized it was. I walk in and you see where all the logos are already placed to where the kids can line up. And it was so organized, but 
not even thinking in my mind, like, wow, your team had to walk all of that in collaboration with administrators and, you know, people in the office to do that. That's, and, and, that's heavy. And, and I would say even further collaboration, right? Because those efforts led to these reports and studies and massive Excel sheets, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. but it really lended itself to help other departments in the district, right? So whether it be purchasing in terms of quantities and, and the types of um, PPE they were ordering at that time, whether it be masks or hand sanitizers, yeah. they had accounts they could go off of, right? On the operation side, on the maintenance side as well. Yeah. It, it's, we had firm counts that we were just super comfortable with because we physically walked every one of those spaces again. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, it's nice to hear that, you know, there was something positive out of that time, you know, when it comes to being able to accelerate construction. And I know I always think of the AC thing being such a big issue that it's gets so hot in the fall and that that's, uh, it's, you know, even in this podcast, communicating the public that the, the district's moving on that. Your team is moving on. It's not, it, but it's a massive lift, right? right. It's, it's a huge, huge thing. So just in thinking about that, I just want to get your take on, you know, I think I've heard you say this. It was maybe one of our Measure E live streams, but like talking about students being the number one customer. And so the students being the number one customer, right? How does, how do our facilities impact what actually happens in the classroom, like the facilities department? When you think about that planning, when you picture the student, what do you feel the impact is? Like some specifics. Absolutely. And some of it is the specific feedback we get via student voice and feedback mm-hmm. we're, we're seeking out, right? Or indirectly by going to the site administrators and teachers as well. Uh, the lessons we've learned along the way as well. Most of us on the facility ha- side of the house are parents too, though, right? Mm-hmm. So we have students of our own. My wife's a teacher over in Irvine Unified. Um, so I get feedback nonstop, yeah. right? <laughs> and I try and truly picture myself in that classroom. So if I'm sitting in the middle of the room, what's my day like? If I'm sitting in the back of the room, what's the environment like as well? So we try and factor in every one of those decision points into our ultimate project scope. You know, some of the things we're doing in terms of direct impact on the classroom on our side of the house is technology, right? Mm-hmm. First and foremost. So adding projectors, adding screens so that we're, we're modern and up to date in terms of teaching standards and what teachers could do, what students can learn. Um, natural light's a big deal for us. Hmm. So making sure windows are addressed. We touched on Wilson earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So window space, uh, bar none, even though we improve lighting along the way, natural light's just first and foremost sure. at the forefront for us. Um, other Im- improvements though as well. So we're adding voice amplification to every classroom, right? Speakers up on the ceiling grid as well. You're often gonna have, not often, but in many cases you'll have a teacher who's maybe soft-spoken. You know, can that kid in the back of the room still hear him or her? Hmm. Um, so with these voice amplification units, you know, you can just kind of speak at a regular tone. Every student in the classroom is going to hear you. That's cool. Um, and again, uh, one of those areas where w- we included it as part of our scope of work based on feedback. Hmm. You know, what, what, is, what does the teacher need in the classroom? What does the student need for, for it to be effective, right? Just a couple examples. Yeah, anyway. no, that's, and yeah. I, I think of being a classroom teacher, I was joking with my team about um, yesterday when we were prepping for some of this about, um, the Extron systems and the, you know, the projector systems mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the wall controls and everything, you know, we, we, we done a couple, couple videos with your team and everything. And I just thinking back when I was a teacher and having an old projector that had, you know, you know, this is, we're on audio, but like the VGA plug, but then I had a computer that I needed an adapter to use it. And sometimes it didn't work. And as I've gone on and we've done some of these videos with the upgrades your team has made, I'm like, oh man, this would have been so much easier as a teacher. And, and you're right where that the easier you make it for the teacher at that point, the better instruction is, everything's going to flow better, that student's going to get that instructional experience, that, that top-notch instructional experience. And something simple as that, but that's it's a big deal. And, and that training piece, the video piece, is a big deal for us also, mm-hmm. right? So we can embark on all these improvements and have extron systems in every classroom. 
yet does a new teacher know how to use that sure. system, right? Does a veteran teacher know how to use the system? So let's make sure we have these training videos in place. Uh, so when we're gone and off and running to the next project, we still have these systems in place. Yeah. So you talked about feedback. And so, I, and I know we've worked together on some live streams. And so I, I want to maybe kind of, as we're closing up mm -hmm. here, what are, what are some of the ways that your office provides updates? How are you communicating? How are you, and you've talked a little bit about it, but thinking of not only the feedback side, but getting that information out, like, Hey, this is all the stuff we're doing. And I know I see you at board meetings, which are live stream, but you know, that's one very small way of communication. How are you getting the message out about all this amazing work that you're doing? Yeah. And first and foremost, transparency is a big deal to mm -hmm. us. We talk about it regularly, probably daily. <laughs> I kid you not, Chris. <laughs> um, so we want to make sure we include project updates and project specific information on our bonds webpage, right? That's accessible mm -hmm. via our, our main district webpage as well. You just go to that hard hack, click on that link. That's going to take you to just a boatload of information with respect to each individual project. We currently added, not currently, recently added a link uh, off of our toolbar there uh, that identifies project by Board of Education District. Um, so if the community is interested, they could just go to their specific region, click on a project or click on a school, and it's going to take you to a menu of just um, a status bar information with respect to different projects on that particular campus. Is it complete? Wow. Is it in design? Um, is it in the hopper in terms of future improvements as well, which is pretty neat for us. We update social media regularly uh, via construction photos and captions just to display to the community what we're doing on particular campuses. We have quarterly newsletters as well, just to highlight certain projects, uh, but also highlight the people side of things, right? So in, in terms of contractors or partners or, or team members on our side of the house, you know, who's doing what these days? Mm. Uh, what was their journey into facilities as well? Just uh, personal interest stories as well. And, and that's been pretty popular. Uh, community meetings, right? So that's where we worked yeah. hand in hand mm -hmm. as well, Chris. And that, that was just super impressive. I was happy we went that route, but that also came about via the pandemic. Yeah. So in many cases, as we embark on projects, we host two community meetings. Uh, and this is in the traditional sense. We'd go out to the school site, meet in an auditorium, invite the community and the staff out to hear about the project and just hear the, the general details and, and specific details as well. So this is what we're about to embark on. This is what we're going to do. This is perhaps what we're not going to focus efforts on, just so there's clarity as well. Uh, we typically would host one early on and then another one as we get closer to con construction start dates. Mm -hmm. uh, yet with the pandemic, we couldn't have those, right? We yeah. couldn't meet in person. We couldn't get out there and gather in large groups. So we went to these uh, virtual formats. So, and, and we've tinkered with different methods, right? So we've done some via live stream. We've done some where we voice recorded or narrated PowerPoint presentations just to make sure we post those as well. And I envision uh, us continuing to do so mm -hmm. because there's going to be community members who, who want to attend our meetings in person. There's going to be those who are tied up with work or other matters in life and they can't attend our meeting for any reason, right? So we want to make sure we continue to offer those up and post those via our webpage or the school webpage and just have those presentations and project information pieces available for everybody, right? And that's been exciting. I, when, when we were working with you, I love that, you know, as we, we all kind of had to figure out how we were going to do this and, you know, our team doing those live streams for multiple different departments within the district where it was just, we have no other way to communicate, so we have to do this. And just what you said, I want to echo that. I, I love the idea as we, you know, hopefully coming out of this and we have these opportunities to meet in person, that we do both at this point, right? That we have this opportunity now to have, like, just like you said, I want to be there. I'm that parents engage. I have the time. I can show up and have that face-to-face -face conversation, but I'm 
dad at home cooking dinner because I got home late and, and I can watch it on YouTube while it's sitting up there and still get the information and then wherever it's uploaded and all that. Like, it's just that multifaceted communication and providing so many different avenues for the community to just access information and know what's going on. And I think I was using an example of one of our other departments we work with, they used to have these meetings and if they would get 10 to 13 people there, they felt it was a success. Well, we had one live stream we did with them where we had almost 10,000 viewers at that time. And it was just, let's combine all of that now. You know, what, right? What have we learned from the pandemic? What are those lessons that now these enhancements that we can take? And it, it's, it's been, it was neat watching your team just adapt. And I know now having Evelyn mm-hmm. on your team, you know, who does a lot of that communications and, and piggybacking some of that social media. And it, it's even cool. Uh, a lot of your, the vendors that the contractors you all work with will push out and advertise for, because they're advertising for themselves, but talking about their work they're doing with Long Beach Unified. Absolutely. And to your point, and just to take it that next step further, right, we went from those community meetings and videos and live streams and actually created that narrated PowerPoint type session for our um, contractor outreach fair this year as oh, well, okay. right? So that's been historically a, a, an in-person meeting where we invite the contractor community and just subcontractors interested in working with Long Beach Unified to hear information with respect to projects, things that are coming down the line as well, and just where to go, right? It's We don't want to just go out there and put a bid uh, on the street and have contractors who see that bid notice bid on our work. Mm-hmm. We want to be a little more intentional there as well. Let, let's make sure folks are truly hearing the message and the opportunity so that there's that equal opportunity for bidding on our work, sure. right? Uh, but that was another one of those avenues where we went uh, the virtual route, um, adapted, just kind of learned on the fly, tried it for the first time. <laughs> But I'm hearing just a ton of good feedback, right? A lot of kudos being sent our way. Awesome. Right. And, and just streamlining the work as well, right? I mean, if we, can, if we can create these processes that make life easier for everybody and or, you know, we can get the information out quicker, it moves the work forward faster, right? Because Absolutely. if I have access to it. And it just helps us in our projects to, to get these questions on the front end and answer the questions on the front end versus trying to be reactive, hmm. right? So once we embark on a change and we're in construction, the price tag goes up. If I can implement a change via feedback I hear from parents or the community at large on the front end, th- that's going to allow us to fix things where we should be fixing it. Yeah. And that just being proactive, right? Absolutely. So is there anything I didn't ask you? Anything you want to share, plug? We, we covered a lot of ground. So thank <laughs> you. Um, I'll plug two things. One, um, we're currently updating our facility master plan. And that's what I've often described as a roadmap for future facility improvements. We know with 9 million square feet of facilities, um, and even though we have a massive building program, there's always going to be more need than there is dollars available, right? So we're embarking on this facility master plan effort. Um, We have an architectural firm that's helping us out and physically walking spaces again, just to look at it through a different lens. Uh, What's the lifespan of every building component? What are the needs at this site or that site? Uh, Just really checking every space on a campus. I mentioned that because that's going to be the next effort where we want to seek out some community feedback and community engagement, whether it be surveys, whether it be in-person meetings or, or virtual meetings as well. Uh, so just a heads up to the community that we're going to want to hear your feedback with respect to what the needs are on your particular campuses. Mm. Uh, and that's going to be coming fairly soon. The other piece I want to plug, uh, just to close on my side, is we, we've always hosted two to four interns in, in our department. This year, we developed a, a larger program. And part of it was because we see, we just see the need in terms of exposing and letting the, the future generations know about these potential career opportunities mm. on our side of the house, whether it be on the school district ranks or the private sector ranks, right? I mentioned how we work with several different consultants and different state agencies. So we developed a larger internship program in facilities and construction this year. 
it, it was highly competitive. We have qu- we had quite a few high school kids apply for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whittled down the list to the final ten. So we have ten students that we brought on board. Uh, they're all high school juniors or seniors. They repre- represent seven of our high schools. So uh, very diverse, just representative uh, of the entire Long Beach community. And it's gone very well. We're at the midpoint right about now, um, but we're just super proud of that. We That's something we want to keep going. I've actually heard some feedback because Evelyn posted uh, an internship-based story via our last newsletter. And, and we had several community members reach out to us via email. Some of them, you know, we're, we're just giving us kudos for the program. Hmm. Some of them were expressing interest for their student for the years that follow. Um, several were offering up financial support, wow. uh, you know, where, where they want to help support and fund this program going forward. You, you know, a, another just fact and figure I'll, I'll leave you with, uh, because I presented on this recently via an industry conference, uh, the average age of a construction worker is about 46 years old. Wow. You know, average age of a, a worker at Facebook or Google is about 27 years old. <laughs> Right, so we see that, we hear it. Uh, we want to make sure we give that exposure and opportunity to students, in case they're interested. Right, uh, I met with them on the front end on day one and shared with them they might, we might share with them something that piques their interest. They might finish this program and realize, you know, I'm not interested in facilities or construction or engineering, and that's okay. Right, mm-hmm. just go out there, get your feet wet. Um, the The process has been great. We included a number of our industry partners that are local, in particular. Uh, because we're able to get these students out to their facilities. So we were able to get them in front of some project engineers. We are able to get them to spend some time with our project inspectors and, and construction folks and construction managers just to really understand the complexities and details that go into each of these uh, trades and professions as well. So just super, super happy with where that went. Super excited to keep that project going or program going forward as well. That's awesome. And we, you know, we, we amplify all your social media, you know, working with Evelyn and stuff. And just yesterday, we just did a post for one. I think I was a Millican student that, that was interning. And it's just so fantastic to see, right? And we talk, you know, Dr. Baker always talks about learning and teaching being the heart of everything we do. And this is a perfect example. It touches all of our work from everybody from front of the house to the back of the house, you know, wherever it is and how, how fantastic. And even like you said, maybe they don't go into that field, but even think of the 21st century skills they're getting in that mm-hmm. interface with adults and industry partners and just the scope of their world getting so much bigger and it's just fantastic to hear that those programs growing you know as we're filming this there's four interns doing the engineering for this right yeah, in our department great. just to see across the district that happening and that your programs because that's big right it wasn't you i know you've had interns in the past but never 10 right no no, no. so typically it's been two to four at most mm-hmm. um so with 10 it's it's quite a bit it's large great all right well david thank you thank you Thank you so much for joining us. This has been another episode of the hashtag proud to be LBUSD podcast series. To check out other episodes, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at lbschools.net slash YouTube or listen wherever you access podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, all at Long Beach USD. We'll see you next time.